you know, maybe just notice someone and say, hey, well, we're getting together and we're going to make a fire. We're going to clean up some area or plant some crops or go fix an erosion point or something like you want to come. And that way there's a purposeful connection and then the opportunity for communication to naturally occur on their terms once there's a level of trust built happens. And that's where I see the quote therapeutic value, even though it's like a natural therapeutic value of human beings coming together, doing work in a positive direction. Welcome to the Beyond Listening Podcast, brought to you by We Are Open Circle. This is a show for anyone wanting to understand the realities and key principles of organization and human development and change. We bring you into the lives of our remarkable guests so that you can understand the challenges they've faced and the practical lessons they've learned, so you can live better, achieve the success you really want, and adapt to thrive. We're your hosts, Adam Rumack and Miriam Jones. You can join us each week as we work out how to live more purposeful, inspired lives for ourselves, our organizations, and our communities. So we're here with Mark Matzel de la Flor, the CEO and founder of Guardian Grange. He served as a Navy SEAL for how many years? Uh, seven years. Seven years. And after leaving the military, started Guardian Grange, which is about helping or bringing veterans into permaculture style land stewardship. And as Mark said, I think the first time we met moving from weaponry delivery. So Mark's got a lot to say on this topic and probably a lot of interesting experience and stories to bring to the table today. And it's really an honor to be here with you, Mark, today. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Likewise, it's an honor to chat with you again. I always enjoy our conversations in the open circle format you guys have. I really enjoy that and gain a lot from it and reflecting on incorporating that sort of communication style into building the human infrastructure of the Guardian Grange and what I call the soil-based economy because at the end of the day, it's all about the human connection and our ability to communicate effectively. And if we can do that, even when there's trials and struggles and confusion, it can serve to actually strengthen us as opposed to break it down. So I appreciate how you show and practice your communication styles with groups. Thank you. And we'll try to bring as much of that spirit into this conversation today. And the starting with story, which is always where we like to start, because I don't know if you heard when we said this at one of our introductions, you know, I can disagree with your opinion, but it's really hard to disagree with your story because it's yours and vice versa. Yeah. So Let's start there with your story from what I see from your bio and, and a lot of our conversations serving the United States as a Navy SEAL is a big part of your story. So I'd like to start with how you got into that and a little bit of the journey through that, that parts that really inspired what you're doing now, if you'd like to share that. Yeah, for sure. The Navy SEAL journey began when I was a kid in high school around that time, you know, high school, middle school, and you start thinking about, well, what are you going to do after high school kid, you know? So I was like, hmm, do I want to go to college or what do I want to do? And I loved being outside in the woods. That's where I spent pretty much all of my childhood, you know, just running around in the woods, climbing trees, taking in the scenery. That's where I felt the most alive and connected and normal. And then when I'd go into school, it felt very like abnormal, even though I enjoyed some of the, you know, learning 
and creative learning too. I enjoyed that, but a lot of the school felt very stale. So it kind of drove me away from that more academic pursuit. You know, I kind of felt like, man, this 12, once this 12 years is up, that's my time to kind of break free and get out of this education process. I was very interested in quantum physics as a kid. And I had a class that was about photonics. That was definitely an avenue that I was going to pursue if I didn't go into the military because it was outside the boundaries of understanding of a lot of the science, right? It's very exploratory and observational. So I enjoyed that because there was less theories to guide your thinking and it was in the creation phase. But I ultimately decided to go into the military because I felt I could be outside a lot more and I didn't really know much about the military when I started having this, feeling this pull towards that area, I had an uncle who was in the military, he was in the Marines. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go in the Marines. And then I started learning about other branches of service and special programs and groups and learned about army rangers and special forces. And then I started like actually really studying and taking in all the, like what exists in the military that I could potentially go into. And that's where I stumbled upon the Navy SEAL path. And it just spoke to me because it was very small units in any environment, in and out of water, forests, jungles, deserts, wherever you needed to go, you had to be a student of the environment and capable in working with small teams. And it definitely, um, I'm not a super awesome rule follower. I don't like fitting in the boxes necessarily, because if I see a better way to move, I like to move outside of that. So the unconventional warfare aspect of it also called out to me and I decided to research everything I could, found out you could enter in on a SEAL contract and get a guaranteed spot at BUDS as long as you passed their physical requirements. And then if you just kept going, you had that clear path, that shot at it. So that's what I ended up doing. Walked into the recruiter and told them, hey, here's what I want to do. And of course, they tried to convince you to do other stuff because... I think they get points for like staffing certain positions that are more successful rates. So yeah, that's where it started. I'm already tracking a couple of themes here. One is the looking for the opportunities that are outside the box where you don't have to follow the rules or you have to be adaptable, be a student of the landscape. You know, all these things that I can kind of see from our conversations, you know, in permaculture and land stewardship. And even when we started this call today, you know, talking about having to bring people together to do things that are unconventional, right? Like raise money to buy a property to be able to create some soil-based economy. So it's really cool to hear that those threads started really early and that you carried them through an, an environment that, at least from the outside, doesn't seem like it really fits the box of having no box, really. But it sounds like the Navy SEAL teams are kind of where that can happen, where you're required to be really adaptable. And the structures aren't as clear from what you said in terms of how the teams operate and how you have to meet the circumstances and the situations that you're encountering. Is that right? Well, this, the structures are clear as far as personnel and like numerical organizational structures. You know, there's like eight people to a squad and 16 to a platoon. And, you know, the fundamental skill structure is there. So that's like the science part of it. And then the art part of it is like, well, okay, now you have all these skills. And then here's mission, objective, whatever we're trying to fulfill from like your administrative higher up infrastructure. And then it basically gets left on our plate because we are the subject matter experts. We're the one that's the most highly trained and we're the ones who actually have to think, move and communicate 
on the ground very quickly because you're in life and death situations and you don't have time to micromanage anything or to be micromanaged. It lends itself towards what I see as just the most natural, organic way of team movement. And it can directly apply to like, for instance, going out into the wilderness and observing natural damage or natural ecosystems and taking that back for education needs, research, or what I do with it is planning out regenerative community infrastructure. So it was very interesting and valuable experience. And it gave me a lot to reflect on, you know, even moving out of that military environment, like, well, now I don't have that because that doesn't exist in the so-called civilian world, right? It's universities, corporations, traditional kind of stuff, and then family dynamics. But that really like tight knit team doesn't exist as I see it in a lot of areas. It's very rare. It's a unique experience that I try to incorporate that Buckminster Fuller kind of quote that I reference a lot is like you take the weaponry and convert it into livingry or take that energy and convert it. So that's what I'm doing is taking that fundamental structure that has been proven, battle-tested, works very well, but is really only focused towards war and to take that and repurpose it, retool it to help facilitate a more healthy environment and healthier communities and instill a lot of the values that we used and be presently aware of the needs beyond ourselves, while also staying focused on like, hey, we're here to do an objective. And yeah, I think there's a lot of value to that. Yeah, it definitely seems to be missing in our world right now. What were the other values that you feel like you've carried over from being on the teams to your current work? So I'd say a big value is just recognizing the burdens that come along with like top-down infrastructures where it's like the administrative weight is stifling movement and progress as opposed to facilitating it and making it easier to accomplish the objective. I recognize that, you know, in the military, which is one of the reasons I started thinking about getting out because originally I had not planned on getting out on seven years. I was going to do, you know, 20 and retire or whatever, like as much as I could. When I started seeing that, I just looked at it everywhere else too. And I'm like, well, if it's in here, and I thought I was kind of getting away from that in here, it's a big issue. And it's what I see even in a lot of environmental so-called focused movements. It gets very bloated and top heavy and the solutions are often very simple. And then the administrative infrastructure makes them appear very complicated because there's like positions and jobs and roles tied to making it complicated. And that happens a lot in the government too. It's like there's a position that exists. They have to justify their position. So they make process that should be like A to B. Now, A to B to C to D to, you know, all these other steps. To me, it was just like, why are we playing this game? Like we're kids who don't know any better when we're adults and we can just be honest and say like, oh, hey, if we're trying to be the most effective at our mission or our job, like, hey, if the process is efficient enough that these steps aren't necessary, let's not continue to take them or add even more. So yeah, I just started seeing that. And it's just like, that's going from the unconventional back into conventional, even though those words may not be the best describers, but it's definitely not allowing the artistic creative capacity, which is what I call one of our human superpowers. You know, you have the human capacity to create, to communicate and to collaborate. And if we're leveraging those fully, then pretty awesome stuff can happen. 
I just kind of got jaded on seeing problems that would come up and be like, oh, there's solutions like right here. And there's a positive energy like, whoa, let's solve this problem. And then it's like, oh, well, no, 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 let's wait and let's hold off and let's do all these other steps. And by that time, you're like, what was I thinking about? Like, I don't even know. Or it's like <laughs> the time window is is gone or shifted or you have to do all this extra stuff that is taking your energy away from the task at hand. If we want to build up the soil in an environment, there's some very simple steps to take. You increase the organic matter. You make sure that water is moving through and you start planting seeds, which doesn't require a lot of money or technology necessarily. We kind of get caught up again in the financial capital, which is an administrative idea. It's an administrative concept of moving energy or quantifying value. And we say, hey, these prices, now this land is worth this much and this crop is worth this and your human interaction over here is worth this. And it becomes very like number oriented and divorced from just like part centered, emotionally connected awareness that I think leads to a lot of the issues in society from anxiety to depression or in the military, there's the PTS, you know, sometimes they throw a D on the end of that, which I think is not correct because it describes post-traumatic stress as an abnormal reaction to a wild, unexpected environment or set of conditions. And it's actually a very normal reaction. And I think that places a stigma on people to not want to address the stress and that has led to way too many suicides in the veteran community. And it's it's often looked at like, oh, we don't really know why it exists. So we're going to take this pill that we made that's magic and it's going to suppress your emotive capacity to feel where the pain is coming from. And that that numbness doesn't actually help anything out. You know, it, it may like prevent something or delay something, but eventually that pain or that root cause is still going to be there. And so... You know, I look at all of these things from an unconventional perspective because, I mean, my opinion is if the conventional perspective worked, then it would be working and we wouldn't have like an increasing number of suicides or even treatments that supposedly help. It's like all of it shouldn't be going up at the same time because it can't possibly be doing what it's told. And there's a documentary done on my buddy Guzo who had killed himself and I was roommates with him. And it was very well done, but it's like, that was definitely a formative event where I just checked out again. I was like, after the military happened, I was going to school and university, San Diego state. And when he did that, then I just kind of was like, what the fuck's the point of all this stuff that we're doing when someone who's sacrificed so much of themselves doesn't have people at their back as far as from the same system that was served. Obviously, there's friends, you know, it's us, but we're like, to some degree, blind leading the blind when we're in a point of unawareness of what we're dealing with. Now, when we have awareness of it, it's different. And that's why, again, I was kind of doing what I'm doing is because I recognize that the theoretical realms and debates just lead to more confusion, a lot of opinions. And a lot of those opinions come from like outside looking in like, oh, here's how I can fix this person or this symptom or this disease, as opposed to empowering the individuals to be like, hey, here's what you're dealing with. Here's why it's perfectly normal response to some pretty crazy stuff that you experienced and kind of like we did before, like, Hey, here's the issue. How do you deal with it? How do you process it? And that's for me, I had this epiphany going back to my childhood 
And it's like, well, nature is where I'm just tapped right in, whether it's hunting or hiking, climbing a tree, sitting around, looking at a leaf, looking at the sun, like whatever it is that like the natural world and the organized beauty of it, of life is healing, especially when you have a purpose connected to that. I have so many questions. I'm so curious. The thread that's really standing out to me, you didn't say disorder, but that was the D. And this thread starting from phototonics through to kind of the organized beauty of nature and the way you described organization throughout your story, it was like a really strong theme of how things are organized and when it's, from your view, disordered or ordered. And I had this kind of thing of like right order that came in. I'm not quite sure what that means, right order, but it was the thing that came in. It felt in your story experiential, an experience of right order. You didn't say this explicitly, but when things would flow Mm -hmm. and when communication, collaboration, creativity are present and very obvious when it wasn't there and a kind of like a searching for what made it go into disorder (laughs) and an acknowledgement that what sometimes people call disorder is simply not naming the things in the culture that are disordered I think is what I what I was thinking about and I wondered about in your time of service I always kind of like think of that time of service like you're in one reality and then you step out when you leave service and you step into another civilian life is what you called it another reality is that the experience of like stepping into one order and into another what's that what is that yeah i'd say it's stepping into layers of reality like there's one core reality beyond our language right the description the words we put to things and the ideas and the beliefs that we have there's you know that's why like nature you go out and it's just it is what it is without any conditions put upon it. But then when you come into the world of ego, let's just call it, right? It's like there's these different layers that are perhaps further away from that reality. Not to say that you're ever completely disconnected because we can't be, but you could definitely be in a siloed way of thinking about what this reality is that we live in. And so when I was in the military, the reality is like physical presence and mind. So you're very connected to your body and your mind because you have to be physically fit, athletic, active, and mentally sharp and quick to problem solve. But your emotions are put down to the back because they don't serve you well or could even cloud your awareness, you know, in a time like if you get emotional in a firefight or something, that's not the time for it because it's everything has to be very calculated and, and quick. I describe it as like even in war, I was in a state of peace, right? Because I knew the environment is chaotic, but it's like my movement through the environment and our movement through the environment was known. It's kind of, you know, you, you put water on a pegboard and it's going to move how it's going to move. And kind of these blockages that show up could be the disorder that you're talking about where it's like now the water can't flow. So it stopped or it stagnates and then it has to consciously figure out a way around that. So moving from that kind of environment into the real world, right, or whatever, the next layer of the real world or the civilian layer, there's a lot more emotional energy, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But when the emotional energy is divorced from perhaps like mental clarity, it doesn't necessarily serve, I don't know if I want to say the highest purpose, but that's what I'll use for now. It doesn't necessarily serve that. So coming into that 
environment where people were much more emotionally communicative or moved emotionally without necessarily an awareness of why from our background where we turn that off basically like it was hard to connect to your average person you know which is not necessarily a good thing like there's advantages again in the reality that you're in in war to doing that but when you get into the reality of relationships you know that's not good to have that disconnection so now there's like the inverse when like a lot of guys come back from war or women whatever it's like in now personal relationships perhaps the blockage there is creating now a a mental thought of like, well, am I not good enough? Am I not normal? Am I this? And then there's reinforcing concepts that come out and like something like PTSD, like, oh, you have a disorder, which means it's outside of your control as opposed to you have a S, you have a stress, which is we have stresses all, all day long, all throughout our lives, you know, and the stresses can serve to make you stronger or teach you something. So if we're open to learning, if we're open to sit with the pain and the suffering that comes along with a stress, then that allows us to move beyond it or to pass on our experience to our children or to someone else in the community who doesn't necessarily have to go through the same trauma. And through communication, we can say like, well, here's some events that have happened or some state that I've been in. And here's how I've moved through it. And here's how we've seen other friends stuck in it or feel that they were stuck in it and to check themselves out through the physical mechanism of like suicide, whatever that may be. And a few times you've mentioned the growing number of suicides in the community. And I wonder about grief and how that is being expressed in the community of people who are losing people in a way like outside of the war and the service you know, back in what is theoretically meant to be safer territory almost. Yeah. Well, I feel like when those events happen, the trauma is shared, right? It's unloaded regardless. You know, if someone kills themselves, that trauma resonates through everyone who knows them. They feel it. They feel the pain, even though they don't understand it, they feel it. And so in the times of calmness and and peace, when we have the ability to communicate to whoever, to our friends or family or just anyone listening that in those times of trauma or intense emotion where it feels like it's never going to end, that energy has to be shared in some way. It will be shared in some way. So it's a more compassionate decision for you, not only yourself, but for your friends and family and people who absolutely do love you, even though you may not feel it, to just communicate it out you know, oftentimes it feels like, and I'm this way, like the sharing a burden with someone is not something I want to do. Like, I don't want to give my stuff to someone else. However, if it's to the point where it's close to or too much for you to handle, or even before it gets there, it's good to openly communicate to someone. And oftentimes in like a specific type of trauma, like war or someone could have sexual abuse or something, it's most likely helpful to talk to a peer, someone who has also shared a similar type of trauma, because then there's a enough credibility is the right word, but there's, there's definitely a, a level of trust. Like when I link up with a veteran, I know that I can communicate and listen and be heard or hear them. And they'll know like, oh, well, they'll feel at least like, oh, well, this person knows where I'm coming from so they can understand. Whereas if I was dealing with someone who had like a specific type of other trauma that I didn't go through, they may be saying like, well, what the hell does this guy know about anything? Like my pain is different than anything he could ever know. And so 
even though that's true and it isn't true, like you can't know pain that you haven't gone, but we all know pain and we have all had our deepest, darkest moments, right? So if we've been down in the valley to some degree, we can still recognize and empathize with someone who's also maybe down in the valley at a point. And what I try to do is when I've recognized that in other people, especially people that I don't know, at that point, I can just be someone who's there to see them, to witness them, to say like, hey, man, I'm here and to not try to analyze them or say, hey, well, you know, if you do this, you know, this is really going to help out. I, I Sometimes I'll share like, hey, you know, I've been in a similar state and here's kind of the things that I've done or or maybe not even that direct. I'm like, you know, maybe just notice someone and say, hey, well, we're getting together and we're going to make a fire. We're going to clean up some area or plant some crops or go fix an erosion point or something like like you want to come and that way there's a purposeful connection and then the opportunity for communication to naturally occur on their terms once there's a level of trust built happens. And that's where I see the quote therapeutic value, even though it's like a natural therapeutic value of human beings coming together, doing work in a positive direction, those conversations will naturally come out and that energy will be shared in a way that's healthy and not overwhelming as opposed to someone just like killing themselves or blowing up or being very mean to someone that they love. And then all of a sudden the relationship suffers or breaks. The communication has to happen. That kind of goes back to like your superpower, right? It's like human superpower is communication, but that can also, the inverse of that can be our kryptonite. You know, it's like if there's no communication, that can be a very lonely place. And in a lonely place, when we have a lot of ideas about what others may think or how we see ourselves and we're not able to reflect and be like, oh man, maybe it's like someone just really beating themselves up and no one's there to tell them like, hey man, that's not, even though you may feel like that, that's not how I feel about you. And I think you're pretty awesome or whatever. Like there's no point of alternate perspective in a state of isolation. And that's why I think the the team environment is like the ultimate medicine, like the community, the people being together because it takes away or it lessens the feeling of isolation, even though it's for sure people can feel isolated amongst each other. But, you know, when there's no expectations put on someone for being present, it's just like, hey, we want you to be here. You know, there's some stuff. If you want to help out, we value you. There's now value there regardless. And then like a lot of these thoughts that are beating ourselves up or, you know, whatever they may be, start to work themselves out. And I've seen it, you know, cross communities too, where it's just like we have different sets of trauma, but because we're still sitting, sharing in work to move through suffering or to do something positive, trust forms across communities where originally or otherwise it might be, if you look like this, or if you think like this, you're not supposed to get along with someone who looks like this or thinks like this. So it allows us to see each other as humans beyond the identity. So I like to get away from as much labels as possible. So I just say like, what am I? I'm just a man of multidimensional mystery, I like to say, because now it's ambiguous, right? (laughs) But it has a meaning if you dig into it. And the point of the words I like to use too is like, they're not necessarily defined and it forces someone to either examine it and come to their own conclusion, which is hopefully centered in the truth. That's why I use words like soil-based economy, right? Because if you talk about oh, well, we need to make these moves for this business or this economic decision. It's like, well, what's your economy based upon? Like, what is the ultimate 
ends that you're serving, even if you're not really reflecting on it? Is it all just financial return? Is that like, you know, shareholder profits and all that stuff? Or is there something deeper? Like what do people do with the energy they receive in terms of money? Or what does a corporation do in in its energy it receives with money? Is it just reinvesting this into this hamster wheel of price accumulation, which actually doesn't affect the value because the value of the entire earth has always been the same, right? It's like life is life. Life is valuable. One human being is worth just as much as another, especially if you, you know, you get, you drop deeper out of the ego and now we're dealing with babies. You know, it's just like one baby is for sure just as valuable as the next. You can add all kinds of qualifications on that baby and call him a doctor or a whatever construction worker. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, the human is a human. It definitely gets tough at times to see that in this world because, you know, we're just constantly inundated with like, well, if you're not this way, then you're not actually that valuable. Or if you don't have this much wealth, then what are you really doing with your life? Or if you haven't done X and Y, blah, blah, blah. I've been blessed and burdened to have walked through life as a loner for a big portion of it. But from that, like I became very content in like actually never feeling alone because I always felt like the sun on my skin or the the natural environment is always there. So me, it's like my basic philosophy is like, well, I'll be happy sleeping in a bush. If I didn't have a house, I would still go to sleep in a bush and wake up and be happy and grateful that I'm breathing. And if I couldn't get a job, right, and I couldn't do any of those things, it doesn't define me, you know, I can still walk into the forest, climb a tree, hunt and live off the grid, you know, <laughs> if I wanted to. So that's a lot of my work is to like blur the artificial lines, right? Because natural organizational structures and organisms don't have straight lines. They have structures and networks that are organically developed And a lot of times, like the ego is like, well, I want to shape this environment. I want to be the master of it, to control it. And there's like an inkling maybe of righteous pursuit in that, right? But it gets lost when it's like you're abandoning all life that existed before you and will exist after you and is allowing you to exist right now. So taking that into account of like, well, hey, I would like to do this, but how is it going to work within the environment that we are given so that it either doesn't degrade it and destroy it or that it actually enhances it. And that's regeneration, right? It's like there are cells naturally regenerate when conception happens and cell division and multiplication. It's all going from there. That is a natural process. And then somewhere along that way, when you have so many cells and so many thoughts you know, some of us start thinking like, oh, well, now everything is very zero sum game or heading toward the heat death of the universe where everything's just actually dying, even though everything's living. I'd say it's an arid perception of, of looking at time and a life cycle of things, but not seeing the bigger, broader picture that sparks life in all things that is constantly regenerating and growing. So that kind of perspective and that energy is what I put into designing this infrastructure. And there's a, the disorder came up, right? Disorder. There's a book that I like and it's called Anti-Fragile and it's anti-fragile things that came from disorder. He talks a lot about there in natural structures and trees. And if a tree is stressed positively by wind, that tree is going to grow strong from it. So it is, there's the stress or there's the disorder, you know, from a perfectly balanced, no wind, no environmental change, whatever, a tree will still grow, but it's going to be a bit more fragile. And so even in the military going back, like seeing a lot of these architectures, these pyramid structures that are in every corporation, it's a pyramid, right? That is not an organic 
shape. Pyramids are pretty cool. Like if you look at the physical ones in South America or Egypt, like they're pretty amazing creations, but those civilizations don't exist. The trees do, the forests do, you know, (laughs) I look at the wonders of the world and I see like, okay, well the Amazon rainforest, like that's a nature and human collaboration. That's humans working as part of nature to create that thing that's living still beyond the people who helped create that. Same thing as the redwood forest, like those monumental trees only exist in that state because human beings were actively stewarding the land to allow for that growth. That's where I look at. I look at the wisdom of that and I call it, I like to contrast it like natural wisdom versus artificial intelligence, you know, where this idea that we're going to invent robots or program the mind of an ego into a computer that's now going to solve all these problems that have been created by a lot of confused egos instead of like taking a step back and like, well, maybe the path that we're chasing this circular tail of logic eating itself is like if we step back and see that before we had all our great ideas and our grand complexities, there's a whole complex but elegantly simple universe living and thriving before any of that. That's where I'm working to move awareness into. Like we can do a lot more by doing a lot less and doing it with more intention. I drew a picture on my notes of the drama triangle. Mm -hmm. You know, the victim, perpetrator, rescuer. Yep. And then I took note of confused egos. And I had this image of this whole conversation happening. Confused egos creating problems and then fixing them, creating problems and then fixing them, creating. And it kind of felt like reading Twitter, you know, opening a Twitter and feed and just like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like a cycle that never stops. Then I had an image of a, of another conversation that I know so many people are having that's not even interacting with that space like the one that you're having mm-hmm. with the land with nature with veterans with non-veterans that you're interacting with and that you're getting support from or supporting communities of and those conversations they don't even check out like it's like the confused egos and the drama triangle don't even register those conversations it's like another language it feels like those two worlds are getting further and further apart like the real world <laughs> and the confused ego world I wanted to see how you're bringing all of that experience, all of that thinking, all of that wisdom that you're sharing, how you're bringing that into Guardian Grange and what's what's happening there now for yeah. you and what that's all about. Because I, yeah. I know you're talking to it in everything that you're doing, but how are you living that out right now? Yeah. So we're definitely very much in the seed planting stage still, right? It's like a lot of these conversations don't help immediately necessarily, right? The awareness helps, but the action that is clear after an awareness happens, right? It's like the gray stuff, you start seeing the black and white and then the black and white, like I say beyond black and white is clear, not gray, right? So with clarity, then we're moving intentionally to plant seeds. So we're working on a like a micro grange property, which is like a smaller scale fractal version or spoke to the hub of this infrastructure. So we're doing a lot of work, like improving the land, cleaning up, bringing people together, forging the community aspect of this. Like, all right, let's get everyone together and start talking about what this is about. And from those events, people started learning like, okay, I can see, I can feel where this is going because a lot of military veterans don't even have an understanding of permaculture and it's never, why would it come up unless you sought it out or stumbled upon it? So it's really like show and tell, like bringing people into environments where we're living an aspect of it. And so right away, that's building cultural capital, social capital, right? We go into the permaculture forms of capital and we're 
working with living capital and material capital, cleaning things up. Now we're we're moving into our next phase of acquiring a dedicated farm headquarters, as I like to call it, like a space where it is our own. It is not conflicted by any other ownership interests who have, you know, whatever else they want to do. So setting that space up in order to operate programs for veterans to stay a bit longer in that community environment and programmatically like release or get outside of the chaotic environment and just be connected to a real tight community and start learning this philosophy and this way of being and maybe even adding skills. Like for instance, our partner company is going after acquiring contracts in demolition because it's like something where guys can make some money, you know, they can feed their family with it, but also have space to be engaged with what we're doing. So whether it's getting guys employed on construction projects or moving into the more foundational work of building up infrastructure of the soil-based economy. And over the past two years that we've been in existence during like this pretty chaotic time, we were able to just get work done with not a lot of financial capital whatsoever. And to me, that's perfect because it shows like the human capacity to show up and do work is more powerful than an absence of financial capital, right? So now it's like taking what we have done and saying like, hey, that was basically this phase. We're moving into this phase. So now I'm starting to make asks, which I haven't done before of like, yo, we're trying to get this property in the middle of the woods and we got to make an all cash offer because you can't get financing for it. So now we, you know, we have a certain chunk of change that we can use, but now we need to acquire more, which means, okay, it's time for me to start tapping community that is down to support impact investing maneuvers. It's like everything you do, it has an impact. Every investment you make has an impact, whether that's financial or your time or whatever. So it's just really tapping people into the conscious collaborative movement to like start pouring water on these seeds. We've been planting seeds. The seeds are starting to sprout. Now we got to add some water and give them some food to build this forest environment. You know, there's the whole concept of the warrior in the garden. And my thing is like, all right, put the warriors in the food forest, like build the food forest and then bring in other people to see and participate with this process to ignite the warrior heart within each human being. And that warrior is not a soldier or combat. The warrior is like the one who is willing to fight for survival, to nurture and to protect and defend what is naturally good in that fundamental reality that we're all a part of. So yeah, that's kind of where we're at right now. If people want to donate, want to convert some money from the, the confused ego economy into yeah. the soil-based economy and support veterans, the veterans that are out there and that have come back and, and want to be a part of the healing for all of us, how can they get involved? How can they, they support you, help you buy that land? Yeah. Guardiangrange.org is the website and it's G-R-A-N-G. Yeah. That's where you can find us. And on social media, you know, Guardian Grange is the at thing that usually finds us. But yeah, we're putting stuff out there. There's an email list at guardiangrange.org that people can join and we'll uh, put information out there as well. So yeah, the, the there's a donation link on the site. Yeah. Up in the top right. Yep. Well, it's been super, super great talking to you. Yeah. You as well. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Adam and Miriam. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Listening podcast. For more information on how to adapt to a world of rapid change and flux for yourself, your organization, and your community, visit us at 
weareopencircle.com. 